0: So in the realm of physics, p equals m times v. Momentum equals mass times velocity. And mass, along with the force of speed, equals momentum. So the concept of Newton's Cradle, can we just all ooh and ah at this? this my father-in-law is a genius right here. The mass times velocity equals momentum. So the concept of a Newton's cradle is that when one sphere is lifted, and it hits the other spheres, the energy transfers, and a compression wave of energy goes through and makes the other one go away. All right, so let's try two. So if you have more mass and more velocity, it moves something heavier. All right, who wants to try three? Anybody want to do Three, three. three? Okay. This is the coolest one, I think. It's moving the whole thing. Now, it even works with five. Are you ready? Look at that. It just, (laughs) the whole thing goes. It's amazing. But I will also say no mass, no velocity, no movement. Just stay here no one ever touches that, it will never move. If nothing ever pushes it, it will never move. So momentum is this idea that when mass and velocity get moving, the energy will be transferred from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and it will ultimately affect objects that are much further away from them than the first one. If we had a, a chain that was much longer than this, you would see that it will affect things all the way down because the compression wave of energy will go through. Here's another simpler example if you're not a scientific person. Imagine you're on a bike at the top of a hill. How do you get faster? How do you increase momentum? Well, you start the bike down the hill, You tilt your weight forward. You reduce your resistance. You pedal like mad, right? And you get going down that hill as fast as you can, and mass times velocity equals momentum. So what about spiritual momentum? How does this scientific principle apply to our spiritual selves? Well, I believe that spiritual momentum comes when we take our life that God is transforming by the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, and we get it in motion. And we move forward with Jesus, and we move forward with greater mass and with more urgent velocity. It's as if we tilt our spiritual weight forward, reduce resistance, whatever those things are, and pedal like mad. And that is what begins the momentum of our life spiritually. You know, following Jesus should always be active and growing, but many times it's not. Especially if we've been a believer for a really long time, we get a little bit stuck. Just like sometimes we get a little bit stuck in our ways and where we sit or what we do. We get a little bit stuck. And sometimes when we've been followers for Jesus for a very long time, we stop momentum. And then we lose our ability to affect other people. Because if we're just standing here, nobody else is moving either. But if we begin to move, the energy starts to transfer. And that is why it's so important not to just have momentum in our own spiritual lives, but for each other. So how do we get moving again. Well, I believe that when we look at the church of the first century, we're looking at an example of momentum. In fact, they had so much mass and so much velocity that they spiritually set a ripple effect that has never, ever stopped. We are sitting here today because of the first church, the momentum that it began. And we are the end of the bowling balls. We are, we, we are the ones who need to transfer the energy to the next generation because we are feeling the effects of the very first church, Uh, In the early church, spiritual momentum was created by the preaching of the word of God, the power of God, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and a strong confidence of faith in God. That's what started it. The result of this spiritual momentum was that the kingdom of God expanded everywhere. That was the result. I want to take us to 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.8. It says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. And our own spiritual momentum has a direct effect on the momentum of our church as a whole. Our church will not grow without faith growing at increasing levels. So how do we build spiritual momentum? Well, I believe it will take faith, and it will take faith at increasing levels. It'll take faith with momentum behind it. It will take faith with us putting all of our energy, res- resisting the, uh, the resistance and pedaling like mad, and it will bring us to a place that we are moving so fast that there's nothing that anyone else can do but move with us. Because the momentum is taking us there. And faith doesn't leave us where we are, but it challenges us to change and grow. So here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to discover how to increase our spiritual momentum through faith. And I broke down the word faith as an acronym. Uh, and so each, each week we're going to go walk through the acronym and we're going to figure out which elements of faith there are. And then at the very end, in just a few short weeks, in the beginning of February, uh, we're going to have some special guests come in from the International House of Prayer. And they're going to end this series and just ignite our faith with prayer and worship. And we're going to have a special worship service that weekend on a Saturday night up at the summit where we can come together and really just everything we've learned, just get going as fast as we can down the hill. And then we're going to have Sunday morning service and the International House of Prayer guests will be here with us there. And it'll be just such a great weekend. So you can look forward to that. But each of the next four messages over the next four weeks come from Romans 8, Romans chapter 8. And I want to encourage you to read that chapter reread it, write some verses down from it, study it, look up on Pinterest the cool little graphics that come with Romans 8. I did that this week. (laughs) All right, let Romans 8 be the thing that is your heartbeat for the next few weeks. We put it in the insert. When I talk about it today, uh, I added a pencil to your pew, a little golf pencil, because you know what? I'm believing God's going to tell you something. And I want you to have a pencil so you can write it down. And so there's a pencil for you. You use it. You mark it. You write questions about it and and come to someone and ask them and talk about it. And I believe that the Spirit of God will get serious with us if we get serious with Him. I really believe that. Uh, The staff is actually memorizing the entire chapter of Romans 8. They love me. They love me for this. (laughs) They're going to memorize the entire chapter of Romans 8. And I want to challenge you too. You show us up. Memorize it as a family. The word of God builds strong families. And so do that. Let's do this together as a church. And so we're going to start today with the letter F, which starts the word faith. And that builds momentum is freedom. The word freedom. So let's go to Romans 8, 1 through 11. We'll begin our study of scripture today. And it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I believe this passage of scripture talks about freedom in two main things. Freedom from shame, which is also known as condemnation, you'll see that word in there, and freedom from sin. So that's what we're going to talk about, freedom from shame and freedom from sin, So we can be free from shame. Let's start with that part of the scripture. We can be free from shame. Um, A few months ago, I got that dreaded letter in the mail that I had to report for jury duty. Anyone report for jury duty this year? All right. Well, ironically, when I showed up, Dan Cephas was there. He he was in the worst, there he is, over there. He, He and I were there. We didn't really notice each other for a little while, but then all of a sudden we did. So Dan can actually testify to this, that I sat there for the better part of the day and it smelled like BO, right? The whole room. And stale coffee. It was terrible. But we sat there, there was tons of people in the room. And I sat there, and my overactive, irrational imagination, I'm daydreaming about how it's probably some really important case And maybe I'll have to be sent away to quarantine so no one tries to burn my house down to sway my vote. And then once we actually convict the killer, I'll have to change my name to Sally Smith. And we'll have to move to Belize to, like, uh, make sure that we won't, like, avoid any terror for the rest of our lives. And I have all these, you know, this whole action movie in my mind. And Dan's just playing Sudoku, jumping on his (laughs) knees, you know, over there. (laughs) He's just hanging out. And I'm thinking, this is going to be crazy. Many years ago, you might remember there was a uh, music video created by a musician named Carmen. If you remember, you might date yourself a little bit. But I still remember. I still remember uh, that video because it had such a profound impact on me. And that video explained the reality of sin in our lives like a legal metaphor, like a courtroom. You may have heard this metaphor before, that because of the sin in our life, we stand condemned before a righteous God and that we will eventually be on trial, and that condemnation is like the sentence or judgment which hangs over us in our sin, is that we stand guilty before our creator, and we stand in shame. We stand in condemnation. We, we stand with our heads hung low because of all the attitudes that we've carried, because all of a sudden it is shown to us all the words we spoke in anger, and all the hearts that we broke, and all the opportunities we ignored, and all the people that we were supposed to help, but we were just swallowed up in our own selfishness for so long. And we will stand there and we will see all the things that we did that offended God and we will see all the things we didn't do that offended God. And someday we will stand before the king and it won't be like jury duty. It'll be much heavier and much more serious than that. And we will have to account for everything we have done and everything we did not do and should have. And at the final judgment, the righteous judge will pronounce the verdict. And the scripture says in Revelation 20 that all guilty human beings will be banished from the presence of God. And in that moment, there will only be one hope for us. And that will be the person of Jesus Christ standing to bear our punishment. It will be the person of Jesus Christ that just when the judge is about to say, I have found you guilty for all of these things that that we can't even deny because we know that we did. That Jesus will say, Oh, pick me. Wait, I'll stand in for her. I'll stand in for him. I'll take the punishment that, that they deserve. I'll do it. Let me have it and let them go free. Jesus says, I will receive the condemnation of our sin on his shoulders. And that is where we begin in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken our place. He has taken our sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have freedom from that shame. Jesus says he's going to do that. It's not like a maybe that might happen thing. Okay, that's going to happen, is that if you are a believer in Jesus, you will stand before the righteous judge and you will account for everything you've done and Christ will come and say, I take your place. I'll take your place. And the scripture goes on to say in Romans 8, 3, if you want to follow along there, that God will not condemn those who are in Christ. And not because he's really proud of all the ways we served or or, or because we love our family really well. Or because we contribute to society or that we can somehow, you know, talk ourselves out of that bad sentence. But God will not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus because he has condemned Christ on our behalf. That's the only reason. Because he has condemned Christ on our behalf. And until that moment in time, I believe we will never know the weight and the cost of our sin on earth. Until that very moment. Because Christ has taken the condemnation and the shame that we deserve. Christ has stood in our place. He has borne our shame. And because He has done this, we can live free from shame. Because therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. He took the shame away. So don't pick it back up. It is not yours to carry. If you are feeling shameful about something in the past that you have done or shameful about a sin, don't carry that anymore because Jesus is already carrying it. It's like two people are carrying it. You can push that into Jesus. You can confess and repent. And he has taken the shame. It is not yours to carry. And Romans 8 2 says that the law of the spirit of life has set us free. The spirit produces life. It says the law produces death. Okay, so if you were in a courtroom under the law, you would be condemned to death. But if you are in Christ, the spirit has set you free. That's what that verse means. It has been accomplished. It says for those who are in Christ Jesus, that is a position. So it's as if you have changed teams from like team flesh and death to team spirit and life. You've changed teams. And the good news is the team you switch to is always the winning team. The the team you switch to has an undefeated record. And in Christ, by the Spirit, you can expect victory over the assaults of the evil. You can expect victory in the spiritual struggle that you will face because he has already taken the shame. It is already done. Let's go to Romans 8, 3. As we're walking through this, it says, it's impossible for the law to do this because it's weak. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that the law is weak? Well, it means the Spirit has won the day. It means our sin is strong, but the Spirit of God is stronger. It means our shame is strong, but the Spirit of God is stronger. Romans 8.4 says the purpose of this act, of Jesus taking our shame, was that the righteous requirement of the law be fully met in us. So I asked the question as I was studying this this week, so then why do we need the law if we have the Spirit? Like why, why can't we just throw that all away and just live by the Spirit? Why do we need the law? If the spirit is the winning team, then who needs the law? What good is the law? Well, the law revealed the standard to be met. The law is what Christ teaches us that must be that it teaches us that we must be held to the holy. It's the standard that He gives us, so we are no longer under the law. But that does not mean it's license to avoid the righteousness that the law revealed. Just because we are not subject to it doesn't mean that we can ignore it. The law itself isn't the problem. In fact, if we didn't have the law to fall short of, we wouldn't have the ability to see how much we needed a savior. Do you see that? If we didn't know what we are supposed to be, then we wouldn't understand the things that we have fallen short of. So the idea is that we do the best we can, and then Jesus makes up for the rest because we're never going to fulfill the law. We We will never fulfill the law as hard as we try. So Paul is saying here in Romans eight four that the only way to meet the requirements of the law is to be in Christ by faith. So therefore, there is no condemnation, there is no shame, because our sins are paid for, our shortcomings are spoken for, the law is fulfilled in us by asking Jesus to make up the difference. The way the law is fulfilled in us is by us asking Jesus to make up the difference. You know, shame comes in lots of forms. Um, shame is what keeps us thinking and overthinking, and overthinking, and overthinking. Does anyone overthink? All right, shame is is the thing that replays that mistake you made over, and over, and over, when you lay in bed at night, and when you watch TV, and there's like a scenario on the TV that's you, and you're like, change the channel, you know? That's what shame is. Shame is that emotion that leads us to deep regret. Shame shuts us down. Shame drives us from the Spirit of God. Okay, this is the internal voice of shame. Sometimes You have things going on in your mind and you don't even realize it's shame. So let me call it out for you today. Shame says things like this. You're never going to make it. You're never going to beat this. You're never going to be good enough. You messed up your kids. You messed up your life. And there is no salvaging this. That's shame. That's shame yelling in your ear. Shame says if anyone ever knew the real you, they wouldn't even like you. You don't deserve to be a Christian. You shouldn't even come to church. Shame says, you'll carry this heaviness all your life. You cannot get free. You are trapped. If any of that is in your mind or your heart, that is shame speaking. And Jesus knew the enemy would plague his people with the voice of shame. And so he addressed a whole nation in the book of Exodus. And then he addressed in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and he said this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is the God of exits. God is the God of exits. And because of this, you will never be trapped in shame or trapped in sin. There is a way out, because therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a way out of that shame. There is a way out of that sin. God is the God of exits. If you are having that feeling that you're never, ever going to shake this, that is not from God, and you can get out of, you can be free of shame, and you can be free of sin. So how do you do it? Well, Romans 8, 5 says, By having the Spirit of God in our lives, life and peace result. That that DNA of shame no longer has to take captive us, that we can, when we have those thoughts, we can take captive every thought and we can submit it to the authority of God and we can use Romans 8, we can read Romans 8 when those thoughts start coming into our mind and we can say, you know what, here's the truth, I can be free from shame, you already took it, you already bore my shame, don't pick it back up and I can leave it and I can just leave it there and know that Christ has taken that shame. All right, so not only does Romans 8 speak of having freedom from shame, but also freedom from sin. So freedom from shame and freedom from sin. Let's talk about that for these last few minutes we have. All right, so I'm going to try and experiment with you. Close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, but close your eyes. Don't think of a pink elephant. (laughs) Open your eyes. What did you think of? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, don't think of a pink elephant uh, eating chocolate cake and ice cream. Okay, don't think of Donald Trump's comb-over. Okay, don't think of Donald Trump riding on a pink elephant eating cake and ice cream. <laughs> don't think about that. Okay, good. You know, when we want to get free of some sin in our lives, we often just convince ourselves, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. You know, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. And all of this trying to avoid it makes us obsess over the very thing we want to do. Nod your head if you're like, yes, that's happened to me before. I'm just trying to get out of this, and I'm trying not to do it, and I'm thinking about it all the time. Well, in Romans 7, Paul goes on this rant. The the chapter before, he says, I don't get it. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is wrong with me? If you have a sin in your life that you're struggling to annihilate, Romans 8, verse 5 speaks to this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What you feed grows, and what you starve dies. So whatever you feed will grow stronger and bigger, and whatever you starve grows weaker and eventually dies. So actually sitting around convincing yourself not to think about it isn't always the best approach, (laughs) because you are just feeding into that flesh of thinking about it. If you feed your flesh, your desire to sin will grow, but if you feed your spirit, your spirit will grow stronger. Your intimacy with God will increase, and the power for you to overcome the desires of the flesh will increase as well. Freedom from sin can gain mass and velocity and then momentum. And then all of a sudden, your spirit is setting the pace. If you feed your spirit, you will grow stronger. Read the word. Memorize the word. Soak in the word. Find time to worship. Make it a priority. Pray for people. Pray when you wake up. Fast, give, serve, study. Just feed your spirit, and it will grow stronger. Romans eight twelve says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according it. What this is saying is your sinful nature might urge you to do it, but you are not obligated to the flesh. In other words, there's an exit plan you can be free from the pull of sin. I read somewhere, sin thrills and then it kills. Uh, I also read somewhere, sin fascinates and then it assassinates. Uh, Craig Rochelle is a, a pastor at Life Church. He said this Sin is like a sneeze, it feels good coming out, and then there's snot everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. But on a serious note, forgive me for sounding dramatic. But sin kills marriages. Sin kills intimacy with your children. Sin kills intimacy with God. Sin kills your testimony. Sin kills your finances. Sin kills your ability to have credibility. Sin kills. And that's what this is saying. If you live by the sinful nature, Paul says you're going to die. Team flesh is death. But if you live through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature and you will live. And no one can deal effectively with the sinful nature by mere determination. You have to feed your spirit so you can get momentum so that it goes through all the areas of your life. You have to feed your spirit. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit can train us to live in accordance with the desires of the Spirit. So last Christmas I got a dog. Don't ask me about the dog because Santa brought it. I didn't know Santa could bring live animals, but he did. Joel. Anyway. Um, so, but I've learned a little bit about having a dog. If you're walking a dog down a path and they see other dogs around you, uh, the dog will want to go and lick the other dogs and, you know, do what they do, okay? They'll, they'll want to have a little dog party when you go. But Joel took, you know, has been a... Um, uh, you know, taking him to obedience classes and, you know, we're getting her, so she hears Joel's voice. Now, she won't listen to me to save my life. I call her to come in. She runs the other way. But Joel, when she, when Joel gives the dog a stern no, the dog will obey. And so when we're walking down the path, uh, if Joel says no, then the dog will not go lick the other dogs. But the dog is only privy to Joel's voice. The dog will only listen to Joel. If the dog has never been trained to live according to a master's directive, it'll be a dog and chase after the others. We can't really blame it. It needs training in its new discipline. And this is what the Spirit says. When the Spirit says no to sin and calls us to look up and and, and hear the master, we have to learn learn to align ourselves to the master's voice. And we have to learn to walk in the spirit. The scripture says that Jesus will teach us that, but we need to learn it. And we need to learn when we're going down the wrong path toward the other dogs, that when, when, when Jesus says, no, 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 we're like, okay, this way. All right, we went down this path, okay, this way. And the scripture here says that This will gain momentum. This will get us in the right place. The velocity in spiritual momentum is obedience. And obedience is the key to reestablishing spiritual momentum. So if you are stuck, if you are stagnant, and you are not moving at all, go back to the things that God first called you to do and obey him in your thoughts and obey him in your actions and get free from sin and your spiritual momentum will take off. When we get in a believing community, we often are shielded from really obvious sins. Um, uh, We may not have, like, murderers sitting next to us, I hope, uh, or, like, high-dollar thieves. So in comparison, we just think, well, we're doing okay. Like, we're doing pretty good. But sometimes we all get in the ditch together. And we don't realize the things that we're doing aren't pleasing God. A.W. Tozer talks about sins in our life that are convenient Sins that are even promoted by other believers, that these sins are so common, they have been accepted as normal and just like average church, not mentioned at all. And in the long run, they're socially acceptable, and often they're even more deadly. They quit momentum, which is exactly what the enemy of God would want. But what happens is we all kind of are like this, so let's just all be this way. Things like pride or, or vanity, selfishness, worldliness, gluttony. Uh, white lies, uh, borderline dishonesty, lack of compassion, complacency, entertainment addictions, uh, drinking in settings that could misrepresent Christ, holding grudges, gossiping, this other stuff, and often they become more deadly because they go unrepented of and they're never changing and it's like this slow burn until our momentum is just stopped. We're not going anywhere. We're all in the ditch together. Well, if they're doing it, I mean, it's okay if I do it. And what it takes to get us going again is someone to say, no, mm-mm, no, this isn't right. I'm going to repent and confess because you know what? That's not right. And then all of a sudden we start thinking, oh, man, I'm convicted about that too. I'm going to do that different too. And that begins to move momentum. I once heard this. Your proximity to God, your intimacy to God can be measured by the amount of time it takes for conviction to set in. Right, so let me say it this way. There are times... When I've been really selfish about something, and weeks go by, and then all of a sudden it dawns on me that how incredibly unfair I was. And I'm sure in that moment the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me, like, Nicole, Nicole, stop, stop, stop. But I didn't hear him because my intimacy with the Lord, my proximity to him, wasn't as close as it needs to be. You know, that's a red flag. I need to connect with God's presence so that when he tells me I'm being selfish, I hear him right then. But then there are other times, and maybe you've had this experience, where as the words are coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, oh, why am I saying this? I don't know. I mean, it's just like, you you know, you're thinking, I told that person I didn't, I wouldn't tell anybody. And here, the the words are just rolling out of your mouth. And the Holy Spirit is like, stop, you know, and and you want to be like, can I remind, you know, just for a minute. And, And the Holy Spirit is just right there telling you. That is a good indication that you are plugged into God's voice. But if you have not felt conviction for a long time, and you have not repented of any sin for a while, you may want to check your pride at the door and go to God's throne and just ask him to show you the things in your life that don't please him. Ask him to restore that still small voice in your spirit that lets you know when you're missing the mark. You can use Psalm 51 if you don't have the words to say. Psalm 51 is a great psalm by David. But confession and repentance creates momentum. Confession and repentance sets you free from sin. Confession and repentance starves sin and kills it and then begins to feed what your spirit. So we can be free of sin. We must work to be free of sin. We must train to be free of sin. But the Holy Spirit promised us he will. He will train us to be free of sin. Okay, so the band's going to come. And would you stand up? We're going to end like this. So freedom, 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 that's what we're talking about today, freedom. It's the F in the faith acronym that leads to momentum. And Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. He sets us free from what we deserve. He sets us free from shame. Jesus saves us from the power of sin, which is slavery, which is being bound up. We don't have an obligation to sin. We can be free of sin. And we're going to sing these words here in just a minute. But the the song says, sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger. Shame was great, but Jesus, you're greater. So here's how I want to respond today. We're going to have some staff up here, and if you guys would just come as I'm giving these directions. Uh, and they have some anointing oil. Now, the anointing oil, if you, if you don't ever know what that is, it's just a symbol. It's just a little bit of oil. They put a little bit on your head like this. It doesn't drip or anything. And, it, and it's just a symbol. There's nothing magical about it. But it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit who brings freedom. Freedom. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit who brings freedom. And and they're going to pray this prayer over you. Jesus, help this person build momentum in spiritual freedom. Jesus, help this person build momentum and spiritual freedom. You're not going to have to pour out your guts to them. You're not going to have to come down and confess your sin, okay? Like this is—we're not doing anything weird like that. We're just going to have some people down here who are going to put a little bit of oil on your head, and they're going to say, "Jesus, help this person build spiritual freedom." Because if you want to build spiritual momentum, if you want to get moving in your spiritual life, you have to move. If I do this, it might not chain over, but this is a good example. You got to move. And if you move, then someone else will move because we encourage each other. And so we're going to do this for a few minutes. And I'll tell you what, you know, I sit around here in the week and I think about what this is going to look like. But in my mind, in my mind, every one of us within the sound of my voice would come down here and just get a little anointing oil on our head because together mass times velocity will bring Momentum. You're the mass, the velocity is the Holy Spirit. And we are gonna push forward as a church family. We're gonna push forward in this community. I want you to push forward in your own spiritual life. And I'm believing today that if we get moving and we start and don't stop, that we can build momentum. So please, please don't watch it happen. Don't come down here if you're uncomfortable. I don't wanna make you do anything that you're uncomfortable with. But by you doing it because you feel uncomfortable, might be just the thing that we need as a church family to get moving. Your act of obedience might be the thing that serves someone else on. So let me pray for us, and then we'll sing this song together. You can stay down here and worship or return to your seat, and you guys can go ahead and start praying for people. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you want to train us, that you want to get us free from shame, that you will take our place when we get to you, and you will release us from shame. And because you have done that, we don't have to bear that here anymore. And God, I'm believing that you will release us from the the, uh, weight of sin, God. That the things that we're struggling to annihilate, that as we feed our spirit, God, that you will begin to give us strength to move forward. And Lord, we know that sin is strong, but you are stronger. And we know that sin is great, but you are greater. And so today we declare these things, and I ask that those that will come here this morning to get anointed will experience spiritual freedom and that we can move forward. And it's in your name I pray, amen.
1: Stronger, Jesus is stronger. Our shame was greater, Jesus, Your grace.